Welcome, Harvest Church family, and thank you for joining us this week for our sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged with the message prepared. Right now, let's listen in to this week's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name, and I just want to thank you. Holy Spirit, would you come take control? Would you take control of my mouth and my thoughts of everything that's going to be said and everything that's going to be heard? God, it's not anything that I can see, it's not say, or anything that I can do, but God, it's your presence, it's your Holy Spirit, it's your anointing that breaks the yoke. It's your anointing that plants the seed and allows there to be fruit in our life, God. It's only you that can cause for there to be a complete 180 in the situation in our life, God. So I just pray that you would be lifted up, honored, glorified, and blessed in all that we do, and we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory that you rightfully deserve. In Jesus' name, everybody set? All right, let's go. Let's get into it. Here we go. So it's the first Sunday in December, which means Christmas is just around the corner. Right? There's a lot happening. There's the lights. There's the trees. Presents. Holiday cheer. I mean, I love Christmas, but get this. I'm one of those people that I get excited like the day of or when it's actually time. I'm not really all about that prepping for Christmas in September, October. That's my fiance. The very second she sees a leaf on the tree start turning red or she feels a cool breeze, she's like, oh my God, Christmas is coming. I'm like, no, babe, the AC just turned on. Chill. <laughs> September, October, I get busy the day of and I get it. But for me, it's one of those things where, you know what, nonetheless, I love Christmas. I got a lot of good Christmas memories, especially as a kid. And uh, one of the things that I actually love the most about Christmas was Christmas movies. Man, that right there, that's, that's perfect for me. And no, ladies, don't hate me, but Hallmark doesn't count. <laughs> Hallmark movies are the utter epitome of wasting time. It's literally the same story, just different actors every single time. There's a young lady who's in like a big city who has like a promising career and then she decides to go back home and then she gets stranded somewhere and then some good Samaritan guy comes out of a tow truck to help her and she's kind of weirded out because she doesn't know what she wants to do. So then it's like, all right, bye, peace out. She gets home. They start talking at the family. Oh my God, how have you been? Oh, it's so great. Oh my God, you should meet so-and-so. Turns out to be the guy that helped her from the tow truck. She ends up deciding that she wants to fall in love with him, and now it's this big dilemma. Do I want to go back to the city? Do I want to stay here? Do I do Waste the time. <laughs> it's not real. Hallmark needs to stick to making cards. <laughs> and all the men said. Amen. First service was way louder, and there was a lot of wives that were like, oh, really? <laughs> Is that what we're doing now? <laughs> right? I'm sorry. You can watch Hallmark movies. It's all right. But my personal favorite Christmas movie was actually Jingle All the Way. If you don't know that, that's a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad, okay? Kind of mad about that for two reasons. One, it didn't crack the top 10. It didn't crack the top 10 list of all-time great um, Christmas movies. Somehow Die Hard got over it. <laughs> Question, why is Die Hard considered a Christmas movie? How? What part of guns and violence speaks Christmas? <laughs> anyway, I'm mad because Jingle All, that's my movie. See, in that, it's a young Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he plays the role of a father who's trying to show his son, like, how much he means to him. So he asks him, like, come on, Jamie. What do you want for Christmas? <laughs> Jamie's like, oh, my God. I want this Turbo Man action figure. Think of, like, a modern-day Iron Man toy. And literally, it's the hottest thing on the market. It's sold out everywhere. Of course, he waits for the last minute to try to get it to no avail. And the movie is basically Arnold going to great lengths and doing everything he can to get his hands on one. And the reason why I love this movie so much is because it shows how crazy Christmas can be. Like, obviously, some scenes are exaggerated, but they aren't too far off from portraying how much we actually invest and go through to make Christmas happen. As a matter of fact, I looked up some stats. A lot of you guys know me as a sports guy. Um, I like numbers. I like stats. I like looking it up. Numbers don't lie. Pastor Perry will tell you the same thing. And check this out. Let's get that first slide up. Check this out. In the year 2020, Americans spent an average of $852 for Christmas. Clearly, these people don't live in California. $852, that's a cell phone. An older model. We're being real here. Number two, 
A parent spends on average $330 per child. For all of you that have more than two kids, more than one kid, Kendrick, I'm praying for you. <laughs> Love you, baby. That's a lot of money. But again, $300, that's a pair of shoes. Not even like a good pair. It's just a pair of shoes. But this is the last one. 22.5% of Americans end up with debt after their Christmas spending. That's crazy. See, because as a kid, I didn't think about this. I just knew that when it came to, pres when it came to Christmas, I was going to get presents. Man, I was so, y'all don't even know. I was so dialed into getting presents, I would calculate how many gifts I would get based off of who was coming from my family. I just knew. It was a list. But then as the years went on, I started, to, I started noticing some things. My numbers were going down. <laughs> What's going on? It's Christmas. Where are my presents? What'd I do? Couples were starting to go two for ones. I got gifts that I didn't even want, things I didn't even ask for. I got sweaters I never wore, no matter how bad my parents threatened me to wear them and smile, say thank you. I got shirts that were too tight. And it wasn't until I got older and it was my turn to give gifts that I realized two for ones ain't that bad. I'm sure I can fit this sweater. I'll lose weight. Still waiting. And see, this compiled with shopping, family drama, party plans, all that, it's really easy to get caught up in the madness and the craziness that can be Christmas. And if I'm being real transparent and being real honest with you, it's even easier to lose sight of the real purpose for what Christmas is. The real purpose of Christmas. See, and I have this thought that in the church, we have this idea that as long as we acknowledge the nativity scene, Jesus' birth, we've done our spiritual due diligence. And see, while acknowledging the birth of Jesus is a good start, it actually represents so much more. See, the birth and life of Jesus set a series of events into motion that would forever change the course of human history, both past, present, and future, in this life and in the next. Amen. So today, I'd like for us to view Christmas in a different light. See, for some of you, if you were like freshly saved, you've been saved for less than like two years or a year, that some of this stuff might be brand new to you. For most of us, if you're like me, it's going to be a refresher, but I think refreshers are good. And I would like to evaluate, let's get that first one up, what the cost, what was the cost of Christmas? The cost of Christmas. See, Christmas costs everyone something. But to God, Christmas costs everything. I'm going to say that again. <clears throat> Christmas costs everyone something. But to God, Christmas costs everything. Now, to say that Christmas cost God everything, it means that there was a transaction taking place. There was an exchange. He was paying a price for something that was going to come in the future. He was paying something forward to yield a return. And that's where we dive in. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles. I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 1. It's the passage 18, verses 20, 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1. And I'm going to be focusing on verses 20 and 21. 20 and 21. Everybody still with me? Thank you to the five of you. I'll pay you after service. Verses 20 and 21, it says like this. As he considered this, this is Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will what? Save his people from their sins. Sins. Past sins, present sins, future sins. He will save them from their sins. See, as we read this verse, we realize that Jesus became the price to pay. And understand, I'm not just talking about the death and resurrection. No, there's actually layers to this. See, this is essential for us to understand as believers because in this life that we call Christianity, everything that we hold true, Everything that our faith rests upon is in the fact that Jesus is the living Son of God. He came into this world. He lived, he died, rose again, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Without Jesus, everything is void. 
Can I tell you something? It is impossible for you to have genuine, real faith and follow Christianity without Jesus. Without Jesus, everything is void. Let's go to that slide. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, So the word became human, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Let us, us, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of who? God. Jesus is seated in the place of authority and glory. Without Jesus, there's no Christmas. Without Jesus, there's no Christianity. Without Jesus, there is nothing. Nothing. Everything lives, exists, was created, is sustained, is only alive and functioning right now because of Jesus. Period. And I'm really adamant and passionate about this is because we're living in a time where everybody wants to take out God and take out what Jesus did. But can I tell you, it is impossible for you to get rid of the very thing that's holding everybody up right now. It's impossible. Jesus is the only way. And I don't know why I need, feel need to say this, but there's a, theolo- there's a lot of different theologies out there, okay? Being in Bible college, you get to study a lot. And can I tell you that anything that says you can go to heaven without Jesus, I'm sorry, wrong, not happening, no. And believe me, I'm saying this with love because I love everyone in here and my, my, my hope is that we would all be able to go to heaven and actually be in the presence of God for all eternity. But it is impossible for you to get to heaven without Jesus. In the words of Jesus himself, what did he say? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through who? Me. That's the words of Jesus. And we need to be very careful and we need to know that. Why? Because you need to have a foundational, a fundamental understanding that everything that our Christianity and faith rests on is in Jesus. Period. So when we talk about the cost of Christmas, the price God paid, we are talking about the price Jesus paid. And we can see it in three ways. This is my first point, first point. Slide number this, it goes, Jesus paid the price for humanity. See, to understand this, we have to start at the beginning, as in back at the beginning of human history, creation itself. God had established an environment, a way of living that was perfect and without blemish. Throughout Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see divine design and purpose take place. The world was literally paradise. There was no sign of evil. There was no sign of sin. There was no sickness. There was, it was the complete 180 opposite of everything that we're seeing right now. You turn on the news, it's everywhere. Hopelessness, despair, sickness, fear, threats. Ah, oh my God, panic. It's everywhere. Chapters 1 and 2, divine design purpose take place. And then by chapter 3, we read about what we now know as the fall of man, also known as sin entering the world. See, sin caused for there to be a break in the relationship between man and God. It was a breach. It was a separation. The real word is actually a sever. It was a clean cut. There was no more connection there. It was completely gone. See, God is perfect and holy and sovereign, and there is no wrong or evil in him. We need to understand this. It is incapable, God is incapable of being wrong or being evil or having malintent. It's not in his nature. It doesn't add up. Have you ever tried to mix water and oil? What happens? It don't mix. Evil, horrible, that bad stuff, not with God. When Adam and Eve sinned by listening to Satan and disobeying God, mankind, humanity, became sinful by nature. It literally meant that humans became incapable of being holy, righteous, and in good standing with God. At least not without a price being paid. Because as with all sin, hear me, 
there is a penalty. With all sin, there's always a consequence. No matter what the sin is. And you know what? I think sometimes, even as Christians, we can complicate what sin is. Can I be honest with you? The definition that changed my life. Sin is simply not doing what God told you to do. Sin is doing something that God told you not to do. Plain and simple. That's what sin is. See, because of sin, there will always be, there was always going to be a consequence or a price to pay. Adam and Eve were forced to leave paradise. Man was forced to work. Childbirth became painful for a woman. And it set out a ripple effect of what we now see today. But even then, God still had mercy and established a way to cover the sins of man by teaching them to offer sacrifices. I don't have time to dive into the importance of God clothing Adam and Eve's nakedness with the, with the clothes made from animal skins. It's a beautiful story. If you're able to study it, please dive into it and try to find out. But that's why when we read about the Old Testament, we read about how people would bring certain animals to the priest to be slain. Because when their blood was shed, it would in turn cover the sins of the person who they were, get, they were paying. Someone brought an offering, covered their sin. Sin comes with a price. But God knew this already. He knows. Can I tell you guys that even right now, this whole pandemic and all these variants, and all, it doesn't catch God by surprise. I'm not trying to make this political. I'm not. But if for one second you think that God is in heaven trembling with fear at this thing, that's not the God I serve. Knows all, present, all-powerful. He's the answer. God knew already, and that's why he sent Jesus. Let's read. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the what? The offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And see, this is where I guess it, I love Bible college because it taught me how to do this. I love this verse because it presents a key that unlocks faith and hope for us in our own life. See, the moment Satan deceived Adam and Eve... Sin snuck in and gave him the ability to affect our human life, our human nature. It's the main reason why it's easier to do bad than it is too good. Reality check. How many of you have thought about sinning? I'm going to ask that question again. I'm going to hope that there are some more realistic people in this place. How many of you have thought about sinning? It's okay. You're not going to burn. Like, you're fine. We're in church. But the reason I ask that is because it's normal. For Christians, it's normal. The Bible constantly talks about fighting the desires of the flesh, the evil and the bad things that we want to do. <clears throat> and as long as humans were sinful by nature, Satan had the power to keep us disconnected and severed from God. But then Jesus. But then Jesus, both fully man and fully God, filled with all the power and the authority of God, is born and lives life on this earth without sinning once, thus breaking the power and the hold that Satan had on human life and nature, and in turn gave us, gave you the power to take off the old sinful nature and take on the nature of Christ. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, that we should throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted, severed, it's distorted, corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and what? Holy. Set apart. See, the power of Jesus isn't only tied to the fact that he died and rose again and lives forever. No, see, I think that's where we're actually doing a disservice to God because his power wasn't only, it didn't come because he died and rose again and lives for the grave. No, that just means that he took the power of death, hell, and the grave. The real power when we think about it is the fact that the power started with the fact that while he was on this earth, he lived a blameless and sinless life and broke the power the enemy had over our human nature. And because of that, we are no longer obligated to live by our flesh. You are no longer tied to your sin. You don't have to stay where you are. 
It doesn't matter what's been happening in your family for generations. You have the power because Christ already paid it in full. You have a choice to make. Will you decide to break it and actually start a life? Start living the way that Christ intended in freedom and in victory? It doesn't matter your sin. Can I tell you that before your life was even sketched in the books of heaven, God already knew everything that you were going to do and he still saw it fitting to send his son to die for you? Can we think about that? Jesus has given us the power to live a life in freedom and power and authority because he paid it in full. He paid it in full. He did it. But none of that would happen without him being born first. He was going to pay the price for humanity. Let's go to point number two. Jesus paid the price for his people. Now, in history... When we talk about the people of God, God's chosen people, we're generally talking about the Hebrews or the people of Israel. Okay, These are all the people who are descendants of Abraham, man of faith. You know Father Abraham? If you grew up in church, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons said Father Abraham. No? Just me? All right, cool. That's fine. First service, I had Brother Al, and he was going off with me, man. It was awesome. We had a great time. These are the people that were enslaved in Egypt and were set free by God through Moses. You know, let my people go, that whole deal. That they were led into the wilderness and ultimately were established as a people in covenant with God. In other words, if you weren't part of that group, you weren't part of those people of God. So that begs the question, how did we, as the church, make it somehow? Have you ever thought to ask yourself that? When did we become able to call ourselves people of God? I'll tell you where the answer is found. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile or restore the relationship between God and humanity. The answer is in the next line. The man Christ Jesus. It's Jesus. And see, this is so vital to understand because when we say Jesus paid the price for his people, what we're really saying is Jesus made it possible for everyone, regardless of your ethnicity, background, status, upbringing, to become the people of God. It's through Jesus. Because of Jesus, you all, we all have an inheritance. We have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of a life, newsflash, this isn't the most important life that we're going to live. There's something else. For eternity, there is no death after that. Like, like once we die, that's it. It's forever. One way or the other. I want to go to heaven. Amen. Shout out. Regardless of your ethnicity, background, status, we became the people of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Notice how it said one. One means united. One means together. Church, can I ask you guys a question? Seriously, can I ask ourselves a question? It's good to reflect. Are we truly united? Are we? Are we on the same team? See, because if we're on the same team and if we're all united, I should be able to walk up to any single person in this church that calls themselves part of the body of Christ, and I should be able to be open and honest about my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs and lows. Why? Because that's what the church is supposed to be. I'm sorry, the church isn't this building. The church isn't a place for perfect people to come and to give their tithes and offerings and feel entitled to sit in a chair. The church is a place for broken people that are hurting, that need healing, that need a savior, that want to be led by God. And can I tell you, the only way that the church can grow is if there's a people that are willing to be honest and say, hey, I was where you were, but I'm no longer there. Come meet the savior. Come let me show you where he is. That's the purpose of the whole church. 
and I understand that some of this might be hard, and understand I'm saying all this in love because when I was preparing this sermon, it convicted me and it checked me because how many times was I too busy to go shake the hand of someone who really needed prayer? What did I prioritize over that person's soul? Is anything really too busy that you're willing to gamble the soul of a lost person? Because if it's not, then what are we doing? That's for the church. That's real ministry. The real church. And look, I'm just going to be open and transparent. You guys are like my family. I love every single one of you. I know some of you guys, like, I've never even met, but I see all of your faces every single Sunday. 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. I pray for every single one of you. I know there's stuff here, but I want you to know, church, it's time for us to stop letting things get in the way of our relationship. John chapter 13, verse 35, these are the words, of Jesus, the words of Jesus when he said, And the world will know that you are my disciples by what? The way that you love one another. By the way that you're loving the person next to you that you don't know. Can I ask another question? Can it be that the world doesn't want what's in the church right now because all they see is more of what they see every day? We need to get past all this stuff that we put in the middle, and I just need to be able to walk up to you and be like, hey, bro, will you pray for me? I messed up. I'm afraid because I feel like God's mad at me because I messed up. See, I'm sorry. I'm talking about stuff because this is real life for me. I get it. It's scary. I get it. But can I tell you that Harvest, because of the pastors here, this is the place where I learned what true grace, mercy, and favor is. There's something that happens when you boldly step up to God and say, hey, God, I know I'm broken. I know I'm messed up. But pastor told me that if I come up and I confess to you, and I tell you that you'll be that I need you, that you'll forgive me, that you won't look at it, that you'll help me right where I'm at. See, the reason why I'm crying and I'm being passionate about this is because there are so many of us that are walking around carrying so much shame. We're carrying so much guilt, thinking that we're not qualified, thinking that we're not good enough for God. And can I tell you, that's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie. Do you understand how Satan was able to get power over human nature? Deception. It was a lie. Did God really say that you would die if you ate? No, that's not what he said. He said we can have from all of this, but we can't eat that. Deception. Holy Spirit, take over right now. God, in the name of Jesus, I break the chains of shame, of guilt, of trauma, of embarrassment, of darkness off of everyone's life. God, I come into agreement with the, pa- with the prayer that Pastor Perry made. That God, in the name of Jesus, right now we begin to push back on the forces of darkness. God, where you are, darkness has to flee. God, where you are, there is no room for anything else. Perfect love casts out all fear. God, you are here to meet every single person's need right where they are. And God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would restore covenant that you would restore blessing. God, I pray that you would restore purity. God, I pray that you would restore imagination and strive for greater things for you, God, in Jesus' name. We need to be together. Jesus already broke all the social, racial, ethnic barriers that existed, and now it's time for us to do the same. Sick and tired of all the stuff I see. There is no room for racism in the church. There's no room. And you know what? Something that I've come to realize as of late, if you've been hurt, maybe you're in here and you've been hurt by the church. I'm one of those people that I don't run away from responsibility. Even though I don't know you, even though it might not have been this church, when we say we're a body, it means other churches too. 
So on behalf of the body of Christ, forgive us if we hurt you. I am sorry. I don't know what kind of trauma they put you through. I don't know what kind of embarrassing, shaming thing they did. I've seen it in my family. I know what shame can do and embarrassment can do. It can tear a family to parts where there's almost nothing left. But it is only by the grace of God that we're still standing right now. I'm thankful for my mom. I'm thankful for my dad. I'm thankful for my sisters. For all you single moms out there that think it's over, why don't you go talk to my older sister? Show you what real ministry is. When you get down into that, when you have to sneak down to that level. My sister is a testament of what have, not letting the enemy have the final say. I'm proud of that woman. I'm proud of my little sister. I'm proud of my family. We need to be together. Church, it won't be easy. I'm not saying that any of this will be easy. It won't always be pretty. Heck, most of the time it's going to be dirty. Dirty almost like a barn or a stable. Maybe a manger. The greatest of kings born in the lowest of places. That's from a movie. I can't take credit for that one. <laughs> We're his people. He came to pay a price. It's my last point. Everybody okay? Had to lighten it up a little bit. I'm a loud guy. I can be emotional too. We need to be together. Last point. Started off with he paid the price for humanity. Paid the price for his people. It's us. Finally, this is where I want to drive it home. He paid the price for you. For you. Look at someone and say, you were bought with a price. Come on, y'all. Can you please give me a little bit more energy? Like, I know we're in a moment, but say, you, you were bought with a price. In a few weeks from now, all of us will have the opportunity to spread holiday cheer, be with loved ones, maybe even buy gifts for the people around us and explain how much they mean to us. And I believe that as individuals, it's equally as important to remember where our value lies. You know what determines our value? It was in the cost of the cross. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 26. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People, us, you and me, I'm with you guys. I am not excluded from this message. Both of us. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead, including them, paying it forward, looking ahead, including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they what? Believe in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus. Somebody say that name, Jesus. You know that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And I'm just going to say, it doesn't matter what authority, what ruler, what governor, what president, what person wants to say otherwise. Guess what? When the time comes, every knee will bow. Whether it wants to or not, whether it wants to say it or not, it will. That Jesus is Lord. And here's a little nugget. If you're going through life and there's a situation happening and you don't got a lot of time to say anything, I bet you if you say the name of Jesus, something has to happen. I'm willing to bet my life on it. Yeah, I am. I am willing to bet my life on it. There's power in the name of Jesus. Don't forget that. See, as Christians, we say that Jesus is the reason for the season. But can I tell you something even greater? Jesus is the reason for the season, of course. But Jesus' reason was you. Why would God step down from heaven glory, almighty power, from authority? Why would he come down from heaven, the beautiful place that has diamonds and pearls and precious stones on the road? On the road. Not even like wearing it, but on the road. Why would he step down of all of that, leave it, and become wrapped in flesh and become a human? Hallelujah. Why would he do that? For you. Doesn't matter whether you're saved or unsaved. He did it for you. Period. See, if you don't remember anything else that I've said today, remember this. You have value, but it's not because of anything that you did or will do in the future. Your value is determined by the fact that God saw it fitting to send Jesus to live, walk on this earth, and then die on the cross, resurrect, just to have the opportunity to maybe if you let him live inside of you. John 3.16 is one of the oldest scriptures that people have used for years. And you know why? It's because it's a good verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, there's no qualification. The only qualification is that if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he raised from the dead, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life again. It goes beyond this temporal thing that we call life. It goes for eternity. That faith, that belief, it goes beyond eternity. Your value is found. Look to the cross. You want to see your value? Look to the cross. When the enemy tries to tell you that you're worthless, point them to the cross. When the enemy wants to say that it's over for you, point them to the grave. When the enemy wants to say your God is no longer alive, Tell him, hey, ask him, hey, where is Jesus seated right now? We as a church have to rise up and stop believing the lies that we've let the enemy feed us for too long. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. Have we forgotten that? You have a voice. You can sing unto God. And here's the thing. It's not even because we're doing it. It's because when you decide to make the name of God greater, when you decide to make him bigger than your situation or your circumstance, things have to change. There's no other way. And the reality is, is that if we don't find our value in what Jesus did for us and who he is, we'll spend the rest of our life trying to find it somewhere else. I don't want to live that kind of life where I'm roaming the earth trying to find out what my value is? Jesus already did it all. See, we live in a time and a culture that is always telling us where we're lacking and falling short. And sometimes it feels that the only way to feel complete or a sense of fulfillment is to sell out and settle for what the world is offering you. Can I be honest? What the world is offering us is fake. It's not real. It's not eternal. It's impossible for it to be eternal. You know why? Because it's temporary. Why? Because sin tainted it. Anything that the enemy has made you believe that can be eternal, it's not. God has the final say. Period. Our answer can only be found in Jesus. If I could have the worship team come up. Jesus paid the price. But then again, there's another side to that statement. To say that Jesus paid the price for you. In order to say that Jesus paid, it had to mean that we were short somewhere. We were short. We were lacking 
something or someone. As I was praying, really asking God what he wanted for this. You guys have been an amazing audience to preach to. I love you guys. I love that this is my home church. Amen. Pastor Perry, you did good, man. Amen. say that he had to pay it meant that there was that we were short somewhere and one of the things that God really stirred up in my heart was that for a lot of you this year holiday the Christmas it's going to be your first Christmas without someone or something Um, I said this first service and I wasn't planning it on saying it now but I feel like I need to I can't visualize what it would be like to spend Christmas without hearing the laughter of my dad or hearing the shout of my mom And imagine what it would be like to not have my sisters making fun of me when I'm in the kitchen. Can't imagine what it would be like to have my little niece, my baby niece, and then have my, my, my first niece, who's now a young lady. Can't imagine what it would be like to hear their laughters laughing at dumb stuff. Even my family members that I haven't talked to for years. without my grandma. It's been the only grandparent I had. I never had grandpas. But I'm not naive to the fact that for a lot of you in this room, this will be the first year that you have to face that. And my heart truly goes out to you. I'll be praying for every single one of you because I can't imagine what that would be like. But all I know is that when I don't know wherever I'm missing, whatever I'm missing, whoever I'm missing, Jesus is more than enough to fall, to cover it up. Jesus is more than enough to help me get through. I believe that God is here to meet with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm done. need you. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's loss. There's fear. There's anxiety. There's worry about the future. And God, in this moment right now, by the authority of Jesus Christ, we run to you, God, Abba, our Father. God, I pray for every single person that's going to be facing what they have to face in the coming weeks. God, would you be their strength? God, would you be their comfort? Would you be their counsel? 
in the stillness of the night, would you remind them that the world hasn't fallen apart and that you still got them and that you're still holding them up, God? God, would you remind the mother that her baby's with you? God, would you remind the father that he still has a chance to make things right? God, would you help me to forgive? Would you help us to let go, to heal, to move on? To take hold of what you have for us, God, because what you have is so much better and so much greater. God, I pray for every single person that's in this room that needs an ounce and a touch from you, just an extra measure of grace, strength, and endurance, God, which you provided for them in this moment, God. God, we need you. If you're in this room and anything that I said, that first prayer, if that was you, on the count of three, would you just slip up your hand real fast? One, two, three. Yeah, hands all over. God, you see these people who raise their hands. Would you be with them and would you meet with them? God, I love you. Thank you because you're not a cruel dad. You don't turn your back on your children when they come running to you. God, I pray that you would be with us as we close out the year 2021. And as we move forward and look ahead to what you have, God, would you fill us with excitement? Would you fill us with endurance and stamina to be able to carry out what you have for us in this new year? God, I thank you for the vulnerability, the, the transparency that's in this place. God, I thank you for Harvest Church. In Jesus' name. There's one more prayer that I want to make. If you're in this room and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, can I tell you that it is the single best decision that you can make? Maybe you've given your life before, but then you've, you've fallen off. You're like, man, I, I don't know. Will God take me back after all that? Yes, he will. There is no sin too great in your history that will make God cast you out. He won't turn you away. Not if you come running. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I understand that it's good to be vocal and it's good to be seen by people, but this is a very personal thing. It's a personal choice for a lot of people. If you're in this room, if you never accepted Christ or you want to come back to Christ or maybe you just say you know what I just know that I'm not right and I want to get there on the count of three would you throw up your hand one, two, three I see that hand I see that hand thank you you can put it down I see that hand yes I see that hand I see that hand I see that hand I see I'm gonna make one more call because I, I still feel like it's there. Come on, don't hesitate. I can't promise you that life is gonna be perfect and it's gonna be easy. But I can promise you that it's gonna be way better than probably anything you're living now. On the count of three, that's you. One, two, three. See it. Church family, we join in when we repeat this prayer. <clears throat> God. Come on, say it strong. Say, God, I need you. I want to give you a shot. Would you see my heart? You see my sins? I stand before you. Would you forgive me? Come on, would you wash me? Would you be my Savior? Would you be my Lord? God, I accept you. I confess you as Lord. Take my life. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name.
If you made that prayer, I am so happy to welcome you to this amazing family of God. We mentioned eternity and what you just did is you secured your spot. Me and you, we gonna get there. We gonna party like it's, like it's 1999, it's gonna be great. <laughs> Harvest Church, I know I went over a little, but will you guys bear with me for a little bit more? Hallelujah. Yes. There's something special that I wanna do. I wanna take communion. Pastor Perry, I know this is last minute, but would you do the honors? This is our pastor. After, but I want us to do something special. He started it. I love that he did it. After communion, we're just going to stay for a little bit and worship. And let's just go after the presence of God. Is that all right? Yes. Praise the Lord. Man, I've been blessed by the word today. Would you give the Lord a great hand clap for Pastor Nelson? Thank you for joining us once again for this week's sermon podcast. We pray God's blessing on you as you face your day and week ahead. For more videos, messages, and other content, make sure you follow, like, and subscribe to all of our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at GoHarvestEG. And be sure to check out our website at GoHarvest.org for the latest information on events and services. Until next time, stay encouraged and don't miss the opportunity to be a blessing to the world around you. God bless.